Hello, boys and girls. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Today, I'm going to continue reading a fairy tale about Doctor Doolittle. Are you ready? So let's start. The fifth chapter. Now, for six whole weeks, they went sailing on and on over the rolling sea, following the swallows who flew before the ship to show them the way. At night, she carried a tiny lantern so they shouldn't miss her in the dark. And the people on the other ships that passed said that the light must be a shooting star. As they sailed further and further into the south, it got warmer and warmer. Polynesia, Chichi, and the crocodile enjoyed the hot sun no end. They ran about laughing and looking over the side of the ship to see if they could see Africa yet. But the pig and the dog and the old tutu couldn't do nothing in such weather, but sat at the end of the ship in the shade of a big barrel with their tongues hanging out, drinking lemonade. Dab-Dab the duck used to keep herself cool by jumping into the sea and swimming behind the sheep, and every once in a while when the top of her head got too hot, she would dive under the sheep and come up on the other side. In this way, too, she used to catch herrings on Tuesdays and Fridays, when everybody on the boat ate fish to make the beef last longer. When they got near to the equator, they saw some flying fishes coming towards them, and the fishes asked the parrot if this was Dr. Doolittle's ship. When she told them it was, they said they were glad because the monkeys in Africa were getting worried that he would never come. Polynesia asked them how many miles they had yet to go, and the flying fishes said it was only 55 miles now to the coast of Africa. And another time, a whole school of porpoises came dancing through the waves, and they too asked Polynesia if this was the ship of the famous doctor. And when they heard that it was, they asked the parrot if the doctor wanted anything for his journey. And Polynesia said, yes, we have run short of onions. There is an island not far from here, say the porpoises, where the wild onions grow tall and strong. Keep straight on, we will get some and catch up to you. So the porpoises dashed away through the sea, and very soon the parrot saw them again, coming up behind, dragging the onions through the waves and big nets made of the seaweed. The next evening, as the sun was going down, the doctor said, Get me the telescope, Chi-Chi. Our journey is nearly ended. Very soon we should be able to see the shores of Africa. And about half an hour later, sure enough, they thought they could see something in fraud that might be land. But it began to get darker and darker, and they couldn't be sure. Then a great storm came up with thunder and lightning, the wind howled, the rain came down in torrents, and the waves got so high they splashed right over the boat. Presently there was a big bang, the ship stopped and rolled over on its side. What's happened? asked the doctor coming up from downstairs. I'm not sure, said the parrot, but I think we're shipwrecked. Tell the duck to get out and see. So Dab Dab dived right down under the waves, and when she came up she said that had struck a rock, there was a big hole in the bottom of the ship, the water was coming in, and they were sinking fast. We must have run into Africa, said the doctor. Dear me, dear me, well, we must all swim to land. 
but Chichi and Cup Cup didn't know how to swim. Get the rope," said Polynesia. "I told you it would come in handy. Where is the duck? Come here, Dab Dab. Take this end of the rope, fly to the shore, and tie it onto a palm tree, and we'll hold the other end on the sheep here. Then those that can't swim must climb along the rope till they reach the land. That's what you call a lifeline. So they all got safety to the shore. Some swimming, some flying, and those that climb along the rope brought the doctor's trunk and handbag with them. But the ship was no good anymore, with the big hole in the bottom, and presently the rough sea beat it to pieces on the rocks, and the timbers floated away. Then they all took shelter in a nice dry cave they found, high up in the cliffs, till the storm was over. When the sun came out next morning, they went down to the sandy beach to dry themselves. Dear old Africa," sighed Polynesia. "It's good to get back. Just think, it will be a hundred and sixty-nine years tomorrow since I was here, and it hasn't changed a bit. Same old palm trees, same old red earth, same old black ants, and there is no place like home." And the others noticed she had tears in her eyes. She was so pleased to see her country once again. Then the doctor missed his high hat, for it had been blown into the sea during the storm. So Dab Dab went out to look for it, and presently she saw it a long way off, floating on the water like a toy boat. When she flew down to get it, she found one of the white mice, very frightened, sitting inside it. "What are you doing here?" asked the duck. "You were told to stay behind in Puddleby." "I didn't want to be left behind," said the mouse. I wanted to see what Africa was like. I have relatives there, so I hid under the baggage and was brought onto the ship with the hard tack. When the ship sank, I was terribly frightened because I cannot swim far. I swam as long as I could, but I soon got all exhausted and thought I was going to sink. And then, just at the moment, the old man's hat came floating by, and I got into it because I didn't want to be drowned. So the duck took up the hat with the mouse in it and brought it to the doctor on the shore, and they all gathered round to have a look. That's what you call a stowaway," said the parrot. Presently, when they were looking for a place in the trunk where the white mouse could travel comfortably, the monkey Chichi suddenly said, "Shh! I hear footsteps in the jungle." They all stopped talking and listened, and soon a black man came down out of the woods and asked them what they were doing there. My name is John Doolittle, M.D.," said the doctor. "I have been asked to come to Africa to cure the monkeys who are sick." "You must all come before the king," said the black man. "What king?" asked the doctor, who didn't want to waste any time. "The king of Jollyginki," the man answered. "All these lands belong to him, and all strangers must be brought before him. Follow me." So they gathered up their baggage and went off, following the man through the jungle. The sixth chapter. When they had gone a little way through the thick forest, they came to a wide, clear space, and they saw the king's palace, which was made of mud. This was where the king lived with his queen Ermintrude and their son Prince Bumpo. The prince was away fishing for a salmon in the river, but the king and queen were sitting under an umbrella before the palace door, and Queen Ermintrude was asleep. When the doctor had come up to the palace, the king asked him his business, and the doctor told him why he had come to Africa. "You may not travel through my lands," said the king. 
many years ago, a white man came to these shores, and I was very kind to him. But after he had dug holes in the ground to get the gold, and killed all the elephants to get their ivory tusks, he went away secretly in his ship without so much as saying thank you. Never again shall a white man travel through the lands of Julaginki. Then the king turned to some of the black men who were standing near and said, Take away this medicine man with all his animals and lock them up in my strongest prison. So six of the black men led the doctor and all his pets away and shut them up in a stone dungeon. The dungeon had only one little window high up in the wall with bars on it, and the door was strong and thick. Then they all grew very sad, and Gub-Gub the pig began to cry, but Chi-Chi said he would spank him if he didn't stop that horrible noise, and he kept quiet. Are we all here? asked the doctor after he had got used to the dim light. Yes, I think so, said the duck and started to count them. Where is Polynesia? asked the crocodile. She isn't here. Are you sure? said the doctor. Look again. Polynesia! Polynesia! Where are you? I suppose she escaped, crumbled the crocodile. Well, that's just like her, sneaked off into the jungle as soon as her friends got into trouble. I'm not that kind of a bird, said the parrot, climbing out of the pocket in the tail of the doctor's coat. You see, I'm small enough to get through the bars of that window, and I was afraid they would put me in the cage instead. So while the king was busy talking, I hid in the doctor's pocket, and here I am. That's what you call a ruse, she said, smoothing down her feathers with her beak. Good gracious, cried the doctor. You're lucky I didn't sit on you. Now listen, said Polynesia. Tonight, as soon as it gets dark, I'm going to creep through the bars of the windows and fly over the palace, and then you'll see I'll soon find a way to make the king let us all out of prison. Oh, what can you do? said Gub-Gub, turning up his nose and beginning to cry again. You're only a bird. Quite true, said the parrot. But do not forget that although I'm only a bird, I can talk like a man, and I know this dark is... So that night, when the moon was shining through the palm tree and all the king's men were asleep, the parrot slipped out through the bars of the prison and flew across to the palace. The poncho window had been broken by a tennis ball the week before, and Polynesia popped in through the hole in the glass. She heard Prince Pampa snoring in his bedroom at the back of the palace. Then she tiptoed up the stairs till she came to the king's bedroom. She opened the door gently and peeped in. The queen was away to dance that night at her cousin's, but the king was in bed fast asleep. Polynesia crept in very softly and got under the bed. Then she coughed, just the way Dr. Doolittle used to cough. Polynesia could mimic anyone. The king opened his eyes and said sleepily, Is that you, Armintrude? He thought it was the queen, come back from the dance. Then the parrot coughed again, loud like a man, and the king sat up, wide awake, and said, Who's that? I am a doctor Doolittle, said the parrot, just the way the doctor would have said it. What are you doing in my bedroom? cried the king. How dare you get out of prison? Where are you? I don't see you. But the parrot just laughed, a long, deep, jolly laugh, like the doctor's. Stop laughing and come here at once so I can see you, said the king. Foolish king, answered Polynesia.
Have you forgotten that you are talking to John Doolittle, M.D., the most wonderful man on earth? Of course you cannot see me. I have made myself invisible. There is nothing I cannot do. Now listen. I have come here tonight to warn you. If you don't let me and my animals travel through a kingdom, I will make you and all your people sick like the monkeys. For I can make people well, and I can make people ill, just by raising my little finger. Send your soul dyers and wands to open the dungeon door, or you shall have mumps before the morning sun has risen on the hills of Juliginki. Then the king began to tremble and was very much afraid. Doctor, he cried, it shall be as you say, do not raise your little finger, please. And he jumped out of bed and ran to tell the soldiers to open the prison door. As soon as he was gone, Polynesia crept downstairs and left the palace by the puncher window. But the queen, who was just letting herself in in the back door with the latch key, saw the parrot getting out through the broken glass. And when the king came back to bed, she told him what she had seen. Then the king understood that he had been tricked, and he was dreadfully angry. He hurried back to the prison at once. But he was too late. The door stood open. The dungeon was empty. The doctor and all his animals were gone. The Seventh Chapter Queen Ermintrude had never in her life seen her husband so terrible as he got that night. He gnashed his teeth with rage. He called everybody a fool. He threw his toothbrush at the palace cat. He rushed round in his nightshirt and woke up all his army and sent them into the jungle to catch the doctor. Then he made all his servants go too, his cooks and his gardeners and his barber and Prince Bumpus Tudor. Even the queen, who was tired from dancing in a pair of tight shoes, was packed off to help the soldiers in their search. All this time the doctor and his animals were running through the forest towards the land of the monkeys as fast as they could go. Gub Gub, with his short legs, soon got tired, and the doctor had to carry him, which made it pretty hard when they had the trunk and the handbag with them as well. The king of Juliginki thought it would be easy for his army to find them, because the doctor was in a strange land and wouldn't know his way. But he was wrong, because the monkey Chi-Chi knew all the paths through the jungle better even than the king's man did, and he led the doctor in his paths to the very thickest part of the forest, a place where no man had ever been before, and hid them all in a big hollow tree between high rocks. We had better wait here, say Chi-Chi, till the soldiers have come back to bed. Then we can go on to the land of the monkeys. So there they stayed the whole night through. They often heard the king's men searching and talking in the jungle round about, but they were quite safe, for no one knew of the hiding place but Chi-Chi, not even the other monkeys. At last, when daylight began to come through the thick leaves overhead, they heard Queen Ermintrude saying in a very tired voice that it was no use looking anymore, and they might as well go back and get some sleep. As soon as the soldiers had all gone home, Chichi brought the doctor and his animals out of the hiding place, and they set off for the land of the monkeys. It was a long, long way, and they often got very tired, especially Gop Gop, but when he cried they gave him milk out of the coconuts, which he was very fond of. They always had plenty to eat and drink, because Chichi in Polynesia knew all the different kinds of fruits and vegetables that grow in the jungle and where to find them, like dates and figs and ground nuts and ginger and yams. 
They used to make their lemonade out of the juice of wild oranges, sweetened with honey, which they got from the bees' nests and hollow trees. No matter what it was they asked for, Chichen Polynesia always seemed to be able to get it for them, or something like it. They even got the doctor some tobacco one day when he had finished what he had brought with him and wanted to smoke. At night they slept in tents made of palm leaves on thick soft pads of dried grass, and after a while they got used to walking such a lot and didn't get so tired and enjoyed the life of travel very much. But they were always glad when the night came and they stopped for their resting time. Then the doctor used to make a little fire of sticks, and after they had had their supper, they would sit round it in a ring listening to Polynesia singing songs about the sea or to Chi-Chi telling stories of the jungle. And many of the tales that Chichi told were very interesting, because although the monkeys had no history books of their own before Dr. Doolittle came to write them for them, they remember everything that happens by telling stories to their children. And Chichi spoke of many things his grandmother had told him, tales of long, long, long ago, before knowing the flood, of the days when men dressed in bare skins and lived in holes in the rock and ate their modern row because they didn't know what cooking was, having never seen a fire. And he told them of the great mammoths and lizards as long as a train that wandered over the mountains in those times, nibbling for the treetops. And often they got so interested listening that when he had finished they found their fire had gone right out, and they had to scurry round to get more sticks and build a new one. Now, when the king's army had come back and told the king that they couldn't find a doctor, the king sent them out again and told them they must stay in the jungle till they caught him. So all this time, while the doctor and his animals were going along towards the land of the monkeys, thinking themselves quite safe, they were still being followed by the king's man. If Chichi had known this, he would most likely have hidden them again. But he didn't know it. One day Chichi climbed up a high rock and looked out over the treetops, and when he came down he said they were now quite close to the land of the monkeys and would soon be there. And that same evening, sure enough, they saw Chichi's cousin and a lot of other monkeys who had not yet got sick, sitting in the trees by the edge of a swamp, looking and waiting for them. And when they saw the famous doctor really come, these monkeys made a tremendous noise, cheering and waving leaves and swinging out of the branches to greet him. They wanted to carry his bag and his trunk and everything he had, and one of the bigger ones even carried Gub Gub, who had got tired again. Then two of them rushed on in front of to tell the sick monkeys that the great doctor had come at last. But the king's man, who were still following, had heard the noise of the monkeys cheering, and they at last knew where the doctor was and hastened on to catch him. The big monkey Kerry Gubka was coming along behind slowly, and he saw the captain of the army sneaking through the trees, so he hurried after the doctor and told him to run. Then they all ran harder than they had ever run in their lives, and the king's men coming after them began to run too, and the captain ran hardest of all. Then the doctor tripped over his medicine bag and fell down in the mud, but the captain thought he would surely catch him this time. But the captain had very long ears, though his hair was very short, and as he sprang forward to take hold of the doctor, one of his ears caught fast in a tree, and the rest of the army had to stop and help him. By this time the doctor had picked himself up, and on the way went again, running and running, and Chi-Chi shouted, 
It's all right, we haven't far to go now. But before they could get into the land of the monkeys, they came to a steep cliff with a river flowing below. This was the end of the kingdom of Jolaginki, and the land of the monkeys was on the other side, across the river. And Chip the dog looked down over the edge of the steep, steep cliff and said, Golly, how are we ever going to get across? Oh dear, said Gub-Gub, the king's men are quite close now, look at them, I'm afraid we're going to be taken back to prison again, and he began to weep. But the big monkey who was carrying the pig dropped him on the ground and cried out to the other monkeys, Boys, a bridge, quick, make a bridge, we've only a minute to do it, they've got to the captain loose, and he's coming on like a deer, get lively, a bridge, a bridge. The doctor began to wonder what they were going to make a bridge out of, and he gazed around to see if they had any boards hidden any place. But when he looked back at the cliff, there hanging across the river was a bridge already for him made of living monkeys. For a while his back was torn, the monkeys, quick as a flash, had made themselves into a bridge just by holding hands and feet. And the big one shouted to the doctor, Walk over, walk over, all of you, hurry! Gub-Gub was a bit scared walking on such a narrow bridge at the dizzy high above the river, but he got over all right and so did all of them. John Doolittle was the last to cross, and just as he was getting to the other side, the king's men came rushing up to the edge of the cliff. Then they shook their fists and yelled with rage, for they saw they were too late. The doctor and all his animals were saving the land of the monkeys, and the bridge was pulled across to the other side. Then Chishi turned to the doctor and said, Many great explorers and great beard naturalists have lain long weeks hidden in the jungle waiting to see the monkeys do the trick, but we never let a white man get a glimpse of it before. You're the first to see the famous bridge of apes. And the doctor felt very pleased. The Eighth Chapter John Doolittle now became dreadfully, awfully busy. He found hundreds and thousands of monkeys sick, gorillas, orangutans, chimpanzees, dog-faced baboons, marmosets, great monkeys, red ones, all kinds, and many had died. The first thing he did was to separate the sick ones from the well ones. Then he got Chi-Chi and his cousin to build him a little house of grass. The next thing, he made all the monkeys who were still were coming be vaccinated. And for three days and three nights, the monkeys kept coming from the jungles and the valleys and the hills to the little house of grass, where the doctor sat all day and all night vaccinating and vaccinating. Then he had another house made, a big one, with a lot of beds in it, and he put all the sick ones in this house. But so many were sick, there were not enough well ones to do the nursing, so he sent messages to the other animals, like the lions and the leopards and the antelopes, to come and help with the nursing. But the leader of the lions was a very proud creature, and when he came to the doctor's big house full of bats, he seemed angry and scornful. Do you dare to ask me, sir? He said, glaring at the doctor. Do you dare to ask me, me, the king of beasts, to wait on a lot of dirty monkeys? Why, I wouldn't even eat them between meals. Although the lion looked very terrible, the doctor tried hard not to seem afraid of him. I didn't ask you to eat them, 
he said quietly. And besides, they're not dirty. They've all had a bath this morning. Your coat looks as though it needed brushing badly. Now listen, and I'll tell you something. The day may come when the lions get sick, and if you don't help the other animals now, the lions may find themselves left all alone when they are in trouble. That often happens to proud people. The lions are never in trouble, they only make trouble, said the leader, turning up his nose, and he stalked away into the jungle, feeling he had been rather smart and clever. Then the leopards go proud too and say they wouldn't help, and of course the antelopes, although they were too shy and timid to be rude to doctor like the lion, they pawed the ground and smiled foolishly and say that had never been nurses before. And now the poor doctor was worried frantic, wondering where he could get help enough to take care of all these thousands of monkeys in bed. But the leader of the lions, when he got back to his den, saw his wife, the queen lioness, come running out to meet him with her hair untidy. One of the cubs won't eat, she said. I don't know what to do with him. He hasn't taken a thing since last night. And she began to cry and shake with nervousness, for she was a good mother even though she was a lioness. So the leader went into his den and looked at his children, two very cunning little cubs lying on the floor, and one of them seemed quite poorly. Then the lion told his wife quite proudly just what he had said to the doctor, and she got so angry she nearly drove him out of the den. He never did have a grain of sense, she screamed. All the animals from here to the Indian Ocean are talking about the wonderful man and how he can cure any kind of sickness and how kind he is, the only man in the whole world who can talk the language of the animals. And now, now, when we have a sick baby on our hands, you must go and fan him. You great booby, nobody but a fool is ever rude to a good doctor, you. And she started pulling her husband's hair. Go back to that white man at once, she yelled, and tell him you're sorry, and take all the other empty-handed lines with you and those stupid leopards and antelopes, then do everything the doctor tells you, work like niggers, and perhaps he will be kind enough to come and see the cup later. Now be off. Hurry, I tell you, you're not fit to be a father. And she went into the den next door where another mother lion lived and told her all about it. So the leader of the lions went back to the doctor and said, I happened to be passing this way and thought I'd look in. Got any help yet? No, said the doctor. I haven't, and I'm dreadfully worried. Help's pretty hard to get these days, said the lion. Animals don't seem to want to work anymore. You can't blame them, in a way... Well, seeing you're in difficulties, I don't mind doing what I can just to oblige you, so long as I don't have to watch the creatures. And I have told all the other hunting animals to come and do their share. The leopard should be here in a minute now. Oh, and by the way, we've got a sick cub at home. I don't think there is much the matter with him myself, but the wife is anxious. If you're around the way this evening, you might take a look at him, will you? Then the doctor was very happy for all the lions and the leopards and the antelopes and the giraffes and the zebras, all the animals of the forest and the mountains and the plains came to help him in his work. There were so many of them that he had to send some away and only kept the cleverest. 
and now very soon the monkeys began to get better at the end of the week the big house full of beds were half empty and in the end of the second week the last monkey had got well then the doctor's work was done and he was so tired he went to bed and slept for three days without even turning over